Hey, what's up, guys? In this episode of A Dreamer's Journey, we have world-renowned dancer and instructor Anya Katzenberg. She discusses her story in finding purpose and passion in what she does today. But it wasn't always like that. She tells us about the hard work and dedication in becoming a top dancer, instructor, and judge. But more importantly, she discusses her ability to find awareness and vulnerability within herself to understand that this was a passion in her life. In this episode, it's really, really special because you see the awareness and vulnerability come out in real time. And you see what it really takes to become a top performer in your industry in this episode. Enjoy. Yeah. So, so that part was fun until it wasn't. Um, and when I started to to be a teenager, it 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 just wasn't fun. So all the all the insecurities that you go through, all of those things, I I did it um, not to say in the public eye, but I had to do it in a way where I was learning what my body is through dance and all of these changes that were very awkward. So I basically became very insecure. And I'm, and I'm telling the story in this way because it, it in itself tells its own story, right? I, um, I grew very insecure and I couldn't do anything. So all of that natural, I was so good at it for a good eight years disappeared. And I was never bad, but I always felt like I was bad. And so the results weren't there, the, the partners weren't there. It was, it was just, it all became very challenging and very hard. But I did it um, be, not because I loved it, I did it because it's what I need to do. You know, I was always very good in school, but I could never connect to any academic subject that I felt passionate about. You know, a straight A student, but couldn't care less. And I almost loved just the sheer fact that when my uh, school peers would get excited about prom or hanging out with their friends, that all felt very fickle to me. Mm -hmm. And I liked the fact that I had this bigger thing to be passionate about and to strive towards. So the, the competitive side of it, the work ethic side of it, the busyness, I think even as a tiny Todd, I, I knew that I liked being busy and having something to work towards. So what was addictive for me is this idea that I had a competition to look forward to as a set of a test. You know, that the parallel of what every child goes through is so different from what I'm going through. So in, in retrospect, in comparison, my life felt very glamorous in that way. I got to travel the world as a little kid. I got to wear fancy clothes and these are all the things that I like from since I was five years old there's pictures of me sitting like a diva in my sunnies with some kind of thing till till now right even though I uh, had Pilates just now so don't really look like a diva but you know that's that's very much my personality so I connected to that I did not connect to the love of dance or what it does for my body until much later in life. And so being in his shadow in the way that um, everything revolved around him and his success, and he was encouraged to dance and I wasn't. I was encouraged to go to school. I was, of course, as a proper Jewish girl, encouraged to get married and have children, you know, make sure you find yourself a rich husband, 
you know, those are, those are sort of the things my parents still want for me, you know, and when I turn around and tell my father, like, um, I don't need a rich husband, I make more money than most of the men that are around me, um, it's just like, you know, <laughs> that, that, that just doesn't, you know, so, uh, and it shows up, it shows up in my life, so when I, when I need to take steps to, to be more of an entrepreneur for myself, when I strive to, you know, my, my brother makes a shit ton of money, right? He's in a complete abundant flow. And I find that like for me, even though I do very well for myself, when I'm at the brink of that next stepping stone, that that underlying story I was told of how it should never be mine, right? It just creeps up a little bit. And so I have to work on that because I didn't come up with that story for me. It was it was told to told me as a child, right? So I, I really fell in love with dance when I found uh, salsa. And of course, I was not okay with it being social. I made it competitive. Mm -hmm. But it was very interesting for me to be in a place where I was no longer doing what my brother is doing. And in that place, I found my confidence again. So when I went to this social dance school, it was no longer my brother's, you know, everybody's the champion of the universe environment. So of course, I was the cream of the crop there because it was coming from this place. And it was very easy for me to walk into that space and just feel good about myself and my skill because legitimately I was overqualified for the position. And being overqualified for the position allowed me to take salsa in as who I truly am and not the shadow of being my brother's sister. And, and that allowed for all of my gifts and all of my talents and everything to shine, even while I was still doing the ballroom. And like I said, that's when I went with Dancing with the Stars. That's when I went on the tours with Burn the Floor. That's when I got to do all of those ballroom things that, that I didn't do before. Um, and then the day came where I started to train salsa and I, and I thought, well, I recognized the opportunity to to actually excel competitively. And it's not to say that I had bad ballroom results. I had amazing ballroom results, you know, and they just weren't my brothers. So um, when I when I got to, to really train as a salsa dancer, I, you know, told my dance partner at the time, like, teach me this salsa thing. I'll teach you to be a champion. And, you know, like completely, not to say that I had a cocky personality, but that confidence was just pouring out of me based on legitimate circumstances that were around me. I was better than everyone there. And not better in a sense of comparison because we all have great things. It was just easy for me to feel good there because I was more trained than everyone else, right? I had the legitimate, substantial, tangible training behind what I was doing. So when all of these hardships within the salsa world started to come my way, they were so much easier to overcome because I was coming at it from this place of, who are you to tell me what to do? I have 20 years of training behind you. So instead of just listening, like I did my whole life, right? Instead of just listening to my parents, instead of just listening to my brother and all of the other naysayers in my life, I was forced to think for myself, but not because I had that internal 
confidence to think for myself, but because I had the facts to back it up. So I was forced to think for myself. You were no longer the authority of me because I respected what I knew in that moment more. It's not to say I disrespected your perspective, but I, I respected mine as well. And that was new for me. I had enough of this internal understanding of who I am and what I'm worth, even though it bounces back and forth, uh, you know, so privy to listen to this, privy to listen to that. It was more of a struggle, but it, it felt a lot more balanced, um, like a balanced struggle. And, and, and then my body got sick, right? So this whole love with fitness, and this is a part where actually you and I met, um, this, this whole cycle kept just repeating for me and and the parts where I started to lose myself again where I would go back too close to that place where I'm not my own authority to go back to that place where I'm listening to others so much more than myself and dumbing literally hiding right dumbing myself down and hiding comes in many ways it comes with being too scared, being too shy, not sharing, sitting on the sidelines, gaining weight, um, being unhealthy, right? That's all just you hiding, surrounding yourself with narcissists, people that require your attention all the time, right? That All of that uh, was, again, dominating my world. And my body was just like, you know what, bitch, this is not your path. You're, you're too talented. You have too much to share. And you're, you're just literally either going to be who you're meant to be or you're going to keep getting sick. And that is when I found my love for dance. 33 years old. Wow. I started dancing when I was 10. Mm -hmm. I found my love for it at 33 years old literally because my body said if you don't get it i'm just not going to let you do it right and i'm talking physical pain i'm talking emotional pain there were a couple of months of my life where my vision was blurry i couldn't breathe i would have anxiety every day you know flashes um cramps just like you name it i i went through it because my body was just saying wake the fuck yeah. up yeah. right and and every other little lesson little lesson little lesson they all knock a little louder until you hear them and that's when i realized that wow dance is healing dance is your connection to your body and your soul and your mind all at the same time in a harmonious way as opposed to an ego-driven a thought controlling kind of way. And when I started to accept and acknowledge and be okay with, right? And, that, and like I'm saying it like this on purpose, be okay with the fact that my life is awesome, that my life is great, that I create all of this for myself and that I deserve to do the things that I want to do and that it's amazing that I'm awesome at it. And no, I don't feel guilty charging top dollar for it, right? So when you start becoming okay with all of that, it's much easier to come into a place of, fuck, I do really, I am a dancer. I am a dancer, I am a teacher. This is my calling. I found it when I was 10 years old. It didn't feel right at the moment. I didn't choose it, 
right? It wasn't presented to me and said, pick one. But you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm the kind of person, I say maybe because I don't want this to be true, but <laughs> maybe I'm the kind of person that if you presented it to me, I would have said no to the very thing I'm meant to do. And so I accept that things happen in the way that they happen because they are for my best and I embrace it. And, and now from 33 on, I'm gonna be 36 soon, I, I am so aware that this is what I love to do, but I had to go through all of this to recognize it. Even though I had it this whole time, it never brought me joy. You know, it's the same, it's like the uh, easiest parallel I can give you is those funny memes that say, remember that photo of you from three years ago where you thought you were fat, right? And now, like, in comparison, you realize, wow, I was actually skinny. It's that. It's, I, feel, I, I feel that I need to forgive myself for not being able to accept and acknowledge how privileged and lucky I am that I've been doing what I love without knowing that I love it. That part sucks. It's so interesting because when you were talking about your brother, I actually thought about a book called The Big Leap. Um, and it talks about this concept of an upper limit problem. How we always get to close to where we want to be, but then there's always something that we do subconsciously on a subconscious level to kind of, I guess, sabotage it. And they talk about the sibling concept where you're almost under a shadow of your sibling or you're being compared to your sibling. And this creates an upper limit problem where sometimes you may not want to push your boundaries or sometimes you don't let yourself kind of explore those boundaries because your sibling, you don't either, you either don't want to overshadow your sibling or you don't want to compete against your sibling. Right. I can attest to it because right now um i know this will be posted and i am happy about that right and i um am almost to the point where i want to ask you to send me the video so i can post it as well but i have never talked about this in the way that that i spoke about it right now and and literally i'm aware i'm aware that the reason I was able to is not because I ever hate it on purpose. The reason I was able to right now is because right now we are not live, right? Mm. Don't edit this part, right? But right now we are not live. And because I'm aware that my parents have social media and my brother has social media, I never wanted to say it out loud like this because I don't want them to feel bad. Uh-huh. And I'm not even trying to assume that they would watch it. Yeah. because they probably won't um, it's very seldom that they take an interest <laughs> in that way and and again i it, it's not everything i'm saying is a hundred percent true i have wonderful loving parents but they are they love me in the realm of what they're comfortable with right which i think is normal for everybody mm-hmm. so i'm not you know pretending that i, I didn't have a, an exceptionally loving wonderful childhood it just didn't support me in the way that i needed to be supported to pursue this in a way that i could be happy about it right and i understand all of these dynamics to where i could say it's not their fault it's not my brother's fault this is just the dynamic but the dynamic that is created between our personalities and the way our parents raised us is we were not treated as equals I had to learn 
through a lot of therapy that siblings are supposed to be equal mm -hmm. right? yeah. or, or that that friends are supposed to be equal or when you're in a romantic relationship you're supposed to be you're equal right i didn't that i that concept eluded me for 33 years mm -hmm. and so i i remember being five years old and playing five or six playing tetris uh in in our parents work with my brother and if he would lose before me he would throw a tantrum because he wanted to play and i would feel so bad that i would sabotage myself i would lose on purpose just so we to could make him feel together. better yeah so i got i got an interesting question so you you said that you never fell in love with dance to 33 um, so do you think the perception that you had about yourself within those 25 years uh, of dancing when you were moving through dance, um, do you feel the perception of yourself or were you even aware of the perception of yourself in the shadow of your brother during that time? And because you were, because at 33, you just, you discovered that the perception of yourself is not really true. It was always this shadow that you could be something else is when you finally fell in love with dance. So like, what I'm trying to get at is, the idea was you have always been in love with dance, but you never realized it because you felt this, uh, or you had this perception of you competing with your brother and being under that shadow the entire time. Well, you know, it's a little bit different from how you put it into words. Um, it wasn't, I, first of all, it wasn't compared to because he's king, mm -hmm. right? He's king. Me, not so much. Okay. Right. So there's king. no competitiveness there. But king in, um, the, in, 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 king in, in whose eyes? In yours or in the eyes of the, like the community? Um, in everybody's, in, in everybody's. And again, this is not um, like, uh, this is uh, earned. You know, my brother is incredible at what he does. Okay. He was also always my teacher, mm. right? He taught me how to dance. He taught me a lot of things. Um, I've studied with many people and would still have to come to him to, to break it down for me. He was my coach, right? Yeah. Um, and he was mean to me. He was not nice to me. Mm -hmm. He, he um, ignored me a lot of times. He gave a lot of attention to other people. He never believed in me, ever. And so that's hard. That's hard from anyone, but especially when it's your coach and especially when it's your brother. Yeah. And so, again, I didn't have the emotional capacity at the time to understand that that is probably not because I'm not good. That is probably because either he doesn't want me to do it or he has his own insecurities that he's projecting onto me because I'm so close. Or, you know, he's also just a teenager, right? He's teaching me, but he's also just a teenager. So you can't, you know, expect... It's, it's a lot of things. That's why I really hope that when I'm saying this, it doesn't really sound like blame in any way. There's, uh, there's a lot I understand about it that it's not personal. It was just also really hard to not take it personally when you're six years younger. So it wasn't that I was specifically in his shadow shadow that I, I've never felt competitive with him. He's okay. my older brother. 
So I, you know, it was natural for me to put him on a pedestal. Like again, I had to learn through therapy that, that you're not supposed to do that. But for me, this is how it's right. He's the boy, he's six years older. He was very kind to me when we were kids before I started dancing, you know, he would take me around, he would babysit me, he would, he, he took good care of me when my parents were at work, you know, but we would fight every day. We never really got along. We have very different personalities. And, um, it was hard for me. I don't know how it was for him. We don't, we have never talked about it, right? But it was hard for me because I love him. He's my brother and we didn't have a relationship, right? So it wasn't like this direct comparison, but, but in a way, yes, I existed in this world where I wasn't Anya. I existed in this world where I was always Eugene's sister. And so it, wherever I would develop my own um, sense of something I have, for example, I was always very good with costumes. I was always very pretty on the stage, right? And so that was never still what I'm doing. That was Eugene's sister, Eugene's sister. I remember when I started Dance Salsa, my brother actually went somewhere in Europe and whoever was driving them around um, when he was introduced, the person turned around and said, Cats of Mip? You know, you have a, a person with your last name that's a very famous salsa dancer, right? <laughs> and that was, that was again, <laughs> like way into my 20s, that, that that dynamic of we are both equally independent humans was, was recognized, right? Because it was always Eugene's sister, Eugene's sister. But it wasn't that I felt competitive to him. It was, you know, he came first. In my mind, it was like he came first. Um, so it made sense. He was also a champion in his own right. So that made sense. And I never felt uh, resentment or hardship towards that particular aspect. It was more the support that he got. The, the, shadow, the shadow was not necessarily as simple as it sounds, right? And there, there was a lot of um, normal, factual things around it that I was actually okay with. Like, I was, I'm proud to be my brother's sister. I think he's brilliant. I'm proud. But on a subconscious level, I can tell you that I most definitely did not pursue my ballroom career because I didn't want to potentially overshadow him because it was so important to him. 100%. I can't tell you that I did that consciously. So I'm not trying to take any credit for it, for sure. But on a subconscious level, there is an undertone there, for sure. On a subconscious level, there's definitely that, um, you know, that little girl that, that lost so that her brother can participate. But, but I can also recite stories of myself doing that that is not related to my family right so it's not blame in any way this is my personality and things i had to overcome because i remember being the same five-year-old going to school the teacher wanting me to have the lead role in some kind of play my friend really wanting that play that lead role and me really wanting a friend and so i would walk into the rehearsal sabotage my ability to skip and hop and she would get the role and I would get a friend. Mm. Wow. And so that's, that's why I, I say this openly, but also very cautiously because that's, you know, I always could have turned around sooner 
and not let it affect me. I could have taken that challenge and done something else with it. It's just these these were the circumstances that I needed to to get rid of that pattern. And it took me a very long time. I'm still very hard on myself for how long it takes me to learn these damn lessons with all the awareness that I have. But but at the end of the day, that's just, I was born this very sensitive, empathetic person that that loves connection and just wants everybody around her to be happy. I was just inherently like that. And I had to learn how that's not serving me. And I had to learn how that is nobody's fault. And I had to learn that um, essentially that doesn't make me a good person either, because if I'm going to continuously give away everything that I have and I have nothing left, then I have nothing left to give. Yeah. So it was a long journey, but I think I got there. I also wonder, um, because I think I was like, like that at some point too, when I was younger, I think going into entrepreneurship kind of changed my mindset in terms of not being a people pleaser all the time. So my question to you coming from my perspective and my understanding uh, from my experiences, was there a need or a, a yearning for acceptance in all these experiences that you've encountered? So I believe that there are certain, there's a part of us of every human being that wants to give, but do you think that it's also possible that with that, there is a side that wants to be accepted as a human being. Let's go back to my story, right? Um, I wanted a friend, she wanted the role. I gave her my role yeah. just so she could be my friend. Is that a real friend? Uh, no, in my opinion, no, it's not. Right. So if I were to be strong enough to want a friend, but not feel like I had to give this to earn one, mm -hmm. then potentially I would have had the role I was chosen for and a better friend. Yeah. And so I think when it comes to giving, you always have to check into that space of what are you getting? Mm. And it's hard because I can tell you from myself that I never ever give from a place of expectation ever. I didn't know I was giving this up and gaining a friend in return. You don't do it uh, consciously, right? It's not like a barter. Mm -hmm. But you have to, when you're a giving person, you have to constantly check in with, are you giving from a place of lack? Or are you giving from a place of wholeness? Wholeness, yeah. Or and so to answer your question more specifically, people pleasing is not giving. And often, often, I think it does come from a place of insecurity mm -hmm. and it does come from a place of, I am not accepted unless I provide. Yeah. 
and you can notice that in other people, right? And I, I believe me, those are all patterns I'm still working on breaking. That if you know, I I often give because I have a lot of. Yeah. You know, I often give because I want to see you smile. But but also there are times where you overcompensate, and it feels like giving. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lack of self esteem. That's a lack of believing that you are worthy um, of being seen without that contribution. Oh, when you started building this awareness that you have right now. And I remember you said you were at a point where you were in a lot of physical pain, emotional pain. When you finally allowed yourself, I guess, to go into that suffering and try to figure it out, do you feel that that pain was necessary in order to get to the mindset that you have right now? Well, this is what I'm working on right now. Um, don't give me that credit. I didn't allow myself. My body had to get that sick for me to stop being that self. If I allowed it, I wouldn't have gotten sick. Mm -hmm. If I allowed myself to feel my feelings, if I allowed myself to accept and acknowledge all of those things about me, if I allowed myself to feel good about me, if I allowed myself to be me enough that I didn't give all of it away to everybody else, I wouldn't have gotten sick. And so where I am today, especially if you take a very spiritual mindset of everything is perfect and happens the way it's meant to, then I would say it was necessary because I wasn't learning any other way. Mm-hmm. Do I want to continue to struggle like that to get to the place where I am today? Hell no, I don't. I don't want things to be that hard. I don't think that they should be, right? And so even though my story is one where things were really, really, really hard, It was not easy for me to have anything in my life. Mm. But then I also recognize the stupid sense of empowerment that those words, and I don't want them. I don't want them. I don't want to be seen as someone that struggled and got to where she is or overcame all this and got to where she is. I want to be so secure with who I am and I want to love myself so much that I'm okay with walking around and being that person that says, I'm just lucky. Mm -hmm. Life's great, nothing's hard. Things that I need fall into my lap. People I love show up at my doorstep. It's an abundant universe and I deserve all of its blessings. That's where I want to be. And so I realized that that is also an insecurity, right? That the harder things are for you, it's like, you know, um, victimhood. Mm. Poor you, poor you, right? 
um, you can inspire people without having to deliver a message of such struggle, which I guess is also another reason why I don't ever talk about this so openly and vulnerably because I don't want to believe or I don't want you, the person that's hearing it, to feel like that's what it takes to get there because I very much believe that whatever you're meant to have, you will have. Your hardship and your struggles should just be in, in having to put in the work, you know, do the work. I don't want to be a victim and I don't want to be someone you admire because I'm resilient. We're all resilient. Life's not supposed to be hard, right? Life is supposed to be about delivering your blessings. So the hardship is, do you know what you're good at? Have you developed it fully? Are you kind every day? Are you not, are you in a space of abundance and not over abusing it to where you stop sharing your gifts, mm. right? That should be the hardship in my current perspective. I don't know, interview me in another three years. I don't know what I'll say, but my current perspective is no, Moises, I don't want it to be hard. Mm. No, I don't want to be that girl. And no, I don't want to perhaps I want to publish that book where the hardship stops at 35. All right. So I got two more questions for you. These are the two questions I always ask everybody when I wrap things up. First of all, I love that you were very vulnerable with me. Um, I think it's going to make a great episode just by the way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. And I want to say that, um, you know, this, this goes back to what I said of just not feeling bad or feeling guilty. I very much um, really, I'm really happy for you. I'm really happy that you're pursuing your dreams. I'm really happy because I know a little bit of your story and your hardship. So I'm really happy that you are doing this for you. So I came into doing this because I wanted to do a good job for you. I really did. Thank but you. I'm not going to take away from the fact that this was exceptionally healing for me and that you allowed me the space and comfort to say things that I've never said and to recognize things about myself that I knew, but never really said out loud. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. All right. So the two questions, how do you want people to remember you when you leave this planet? I know that's a deep one. And then where can people find out more about you? Um, I am all over social, all over. <laughs> I have some social media accounts, um, all with the handle of my name, Anya Katzenman. I am currently working towards building a website, but I really want my website to be a special, unique place for our community. So it's taking me some time to find who's the right person to help me there. Mm -hmm. um, so if you feel like you're the right person and you're listening to this, reach out to me because I need help. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but right now, social media is where you can find me. I definitely want to be remembered as somebody that shared, helped, and didn't struggle. I love that. I love it. I, I, for, from, again, ask me in two years, I don't know. But as of right now, I want to literally be able to share 
my gifts and my powers and continue to develop them to their fullest potential. One of my biggest no-nos for myself is underachieving what I'm capable of. So I definitely am in pursuit of what I have to offer and having the balls to offer it. Um, there's actually a couple of resources that I would love to share with you. I'll send them to you on WhatsApp. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be able to have this podcast with me. I love that you were vulnerable. I love that you spoke from the heart and you basically told your story. I think it's going to make a great podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into a Dreamer's Journey podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this with anyone you feel may benefit from my stories and topics that I discuss on this platform. I release a new episode every Friday, and you can watch the full unedited videos on my YouTube channel, Dream and Grow with Moises. If you have any questions or want to be a part of the podcast, you can always message me on Instagram, M. Eliezer Santos. Or email me at moises at vitaproject.com. Till next time, guys.